0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. Thank you, Father, for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. The textbook is Tradition and the Church by Monsignor George Ages, available on the True Restoration Press Store. Now, Father, this is the final episode for this series, and I think it's been a good effort on your part here.
1: Well, by the grace of God, I hope I did okay. Uh, I tried to explain as much as I could, uh, and hopefully
0: people... Uh, are able to get some things from it. I, I think so. I have to say uh, this has actually been quite enlightening reading through it as well as also your explanations. Uh, it really does help for, to have an understanding, just a deeper understanding of why Vatican II is not the true church and all that. But without further ado, let's get into this final episode. The first headline reads on page 298, Catholic revelation must not be confounded with private revelation.
1: Right. <clears throat> uh, you know this is a, uh, this is a good distinction to 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 make for uh, Catholics as well, is that Catholic revelation, you know that is what God revealed to us to be universally believed under pain of eternal damnation, it came to an end at the death of the apostles. So there's nothing new, of course, uh, given to us. All truth has already been given uh, to our to uh, to the, the apostles to the death of the last apostle. That's it. There's nothing new, no new revelation to be had. Um, and private revelation then, of course, uh, is uh, is uh, is designed by God to make manifest uh, the sense of some truth contained in the Catholic revelation, which has not yet been defined by the Church nor sufficiently understood by the faithful. Um, but it could be possible, too, that God may disclose privately to the Pope or to some fathers assembled in a general council the true sense of a dogmatic truth. Um, but that private manifestation of the true sense of a divine doctrine in which is involved it not not only the doctrine proposed to the faith, but also the infallibility of the Pontiff and the Church is not really private revelation revelation. it is really the assistance of the Holy Ghost. Uh, promised by God to His Church, and so a revelation, as Monsignor says, or as the case may be, a prophecy declared after the death of the apostles, does not belong to the deposit of faith. <clears throat> we, of course, we know that there are many um, private revelations that have happened in the in the history of the Church. I mean, we have all the apparitions of really of our Lord, of Our Lady. Um, you know, really are really private revelations because um, they, they've happened all, of course, post the death of the apostles. And so they're not a part of the deposit of faith. Um, they often, of course, or all, all true ones, of course, will elicit um, or, or uh, emphasize maybe truths that are already of, of from the deposit of faith, things that we must do or remind us of that. Um, they may, people may receive Certain revelations, either for their own benefit or for the direction of others, but on the contrary, though, what the apostles and all the other inspired writers left us in the scriptures were intended for the whole church for her own general direction, edification, and belief. Um, again, private revelations and prophecies they they may be made by God because nothing is impossible to him, but they do not belong to the deposit of faith. And again, this especially uh, there's a tendency sometimes amongst Catholics, of course, to elevate private revelations to that of uh, above ultimately of the church, above ultimately of dogmas or doctrines, and you know you you'll sometimes see an overemphasis sometimes on private revelation rather than not on the public uh, revelation of God given to us. you know so they'll use sometimes some spurious even. Revelations, private revelations, or private revelations of writing, of something to say, no, no, no. See, this is what the church, you know, really, this is what we should really believe. Which, in reality, is almost in contradiction to public revelation. So we have to be careful um, to not overemphasize private revelation. And now, of course, we're this this year. Of course, we have the hundredth anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, um, and of course, Our Our uh, Our Lady of Fatima, of course, had given. Uh, reminded us, of course, of uh, those great things that we have to do. We have to pray for sinners. We have to do sacrifice. We have to do penance. We have to repent. Um, you know all these things, of course, which has already been in the deposit of faith anyway. Just our Lady is reminding us, no, we have to do this. You know, pray the rosary, pray, And you know, these are the, because in them, of course, in the rosary, have you have uh, the uh, Believe you know, the true belief uh, of the church, you know, we have the, the public revelation of the church, you know, in regards to the prayers being said, the beliefs there. So it's nothing added new. Uh, the problem sometimes comes is when people overemphasize or look to that, like we have, you know, people are pondering, you know, the third secret of, of Fatima, you know, and, the, mm-hmm. and so they'll kind of put that above everything else uh, of the church, you know, and say, and even, well, we don't even know what that is anyway, for one thing, or, you know, what the true, the completeness of it. I mean, but, you know, we have to be careful to not elevate private revelation above that of Catholic revelation of of public revelation, um, because that will get us to have a public revelation. And so, you know, it's not demeaning, of course, at all, any of the, the true approved private revelations, but, but they all say, whether it be actually of our Lord or of our Lady or, or of other, uh, you know, that the Church has said, deemed, yes, this is good, this is, uh, you know, certainly we use them for our edification for our continued, but it, it never, it, true revelations like that, uh, true private revelations that the Church has said is okay, will never, of course, contradict public uh, revelation, never, never contradict Catholic revelation, and, and it just emphasizes it more. Um, so, you know, Monsignor makes that kind of distinction. He says, you know, they, um, he says, uh, uh, private revelations and prophecies, again, they may be made by God. And, and they may belong to what theologians call divine faith as distinguished from Catholic faith. And divine faith embraces whatever God has been and will be pleased to reveal in the course of the centuries. Catholic faith contains what must be believed by all. In other words, which we have to believe to get to heaven. So, you know, if the church, of course, has passed judgment on some private revelation and approved of their veracity, they are not proposed to the faithful to be believed either by divine faith or Catholic faith. The church simply declares uh, three things, which Monsignor points out. The church declares that there is nothing in them against the Catholic faith or Christian morality and discipline. Or number two, that there are sufficient indications for which such revelations may be believed in human faith piously, prudently, and without superstition. And number three, that private revelations should not be despised after the approval of the church, or if the church has not yet passed judgment, but there are, however, sufficient reasons for their genuineness. So, you know, we put private private revelations where they should be, that they certainly are Edifying for us, they are certainly uh, helping our piety. They are certainly helping, uh, giving us a, a greater, often understanding of of uh, Catholic faith. Um, and the Church uh, should it reminds us that if the Church has said this is good, this is right. You know, like any of our know, apparitions of Our Lady or of Our, of our Lord that the true Church is approved. Say this is of belief. This should be, but it, you know, it should not be despised after the approval of the Church. But at, at the same time, one doesn't have to, uh, you know, be a, say a devotee or or a uh, have a devotion to that private revelation per se. So really, the Monsignor is just reminding, uh, just to have a a good distinction between, uh, you know, again, it's not. It's not to say, of course, you know, like uh, why would why wouldn't someone have a devotion, say, to our Lady of Lords, or our Lady of Fatima, or our, uh, you know and that? I mean, it's just I mean, why wouldn't you? but it's not necessary for salvation. But the church and Monsignor concludes, He says, the conclusion is that when we declare that Catholic revelation came to an end with the death of the apostles, we do not mean that private revelations or prophecies cannot be made anymore by God but that they are not to be confounded with Catholic faith, which must be accepted by all. So again, you sometimes will have some who will uh, put a an L- uh, revelation. And again, you know, it's not, uh, there are, are some, of course, who, especially t- in today uh, with Our Lady of Fatima, you know, you have like, um you know, like uh, um, the whole thing of, of the whole of, you know, Gruner, um, um, Nicholas Gruner, you know, in regards to uh, his, uh, you know, uh, um, um, Fatima group that he had there in regards. But yet kind of putting that such at a, at a level to where that's the whole focus of everything, almost disregarding, of course, everything else, um, you know, that's that's taking it to an extreme. Um, you know, and, and Monsignor is just pointing out, just clearly not being trying to be offensive or anything like that, but just reminding the difference between Catholic faith and then private revelation is that you know you have different there. There's a distinction there.
0: Yes, that's an excellent point. I think Fatima is one of those uh, miracles, uh, devotions that a lot of traditional Catholics, true Catholics, say of will, like you said, put a bit too much faith into everything that's said, and I think as in or interpreted rather, of course, it is approved by the church, but the reasons you outlined beforehand show that obviously it shouldn't be put on everything it's said or uh, presented through, it shouldn't be put on the same level as what is declared by the church. And on that point with the, the, the third secret, I think there's a tendency... For Catholics to sort of get in on it because it is kind of cool, like you know, hey, there's this secret out there that's been hidden from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that sort of, it's got that charm to it of a story. But right. again, we have to put it into perspective.
1: Right, right. You're right, I and mean, we 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 have to, um, uh, yes, uh, that uh, as long as we keep that different, uh, that the, what the church defines what they are and stick by those definitions, uh,
0: will be uh will be fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On page three hundred and one, Catholic revelation has so come to an end that it excludes the formation of a new church or of another testament of a more perfect order, or with a more abundant divine communication of truth
1: again, I just in that itself, blows away Protestants, Vatican II, all other, you know, mm-hmm. uh, new churches, of course, that have come uh, since that. But, uh, you know, heresy, as Monsignor says, heresy, of course, has appeared many times and in many ways in the Church of God, is that we, unfortunately, of course, will always have to battle against heresy. Um, and you see the, uh, just the almost, uh, Innumerable, as Monsignor says, innumerable sects, both ancient and and modern, that are not satisfied with Christ and his church, and they expect something new. They expect a new gospel, a new testament, a new church with a new and more abundant effusion of the Holy Ghost. Now, that language that Monsignor just, you know, that I just kind of paraphrased, but that language, You hear that profusely in Vatican II. Uh, You know, it is a you know a more abundant effusion of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. You know, it is you know that's what you have. Of course, now you have um, you know the charismatical renewal in Vatican II and all that stuff. Uh, But if you remember, you know, one of the things that uh, that uh, Roncalli, you know, John the twenty-third, and and all the subsequent false popes uh, had pronounced looking at vatican ii they all said that this is a new pentecost you know this is a new pentecost uh but you know pentecost of course was the birth is the birthday of the church is the beginning of the church so if it's a new pentecost it must be a new church then because you know wasn't the wasn't the first one sufficient i mean in that regards (laughs) so uh you know it again you know it is it was with that that that, that uh, there, we we're not, and basically we're again, we're not expecting anything new. You know, we're not looking for anything new. And Monsignor kind of goes through, and I like how he does it. um and I'll just paraphrase basically, he he goes through it a little bit <clears throat> in depthly in some things, but um, basically, you know he says like the like the characteristic, characteristic note of the Old Testament is hope <clears throat> and expectation. In other words, they, uh, that it is to be realized only and forever through the advent of the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. So the whole Old Testament and all our forefathers in the faith, of course, were anticipating and 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 uh, looking forward to the Messiah to come. So there was that hope and expectation. You know, this is of course in Advent. Of course, we commemorate in four weeks of Advent the you know the four thousand years in that regards of you know that waiting for the Messiah, uh, 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 the Savior of mankind to come, and then. Of course, St. Paul reminds us that the New Testament uh, remaineth because Christ is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So it's the New Testament, the coming of Christ, the fulfillment of that realization uh, of that expectation of the Old Testament. And so St. Paul and Monsignor writes too, he says, the priesthood is the heart of religion take out that heart and nothing remains of religion. It is the pulsation of life. If therefore a priesthood is imperfect, imperfect must also be its religion. If imperfect, it must be translated or abolished. And a translation must be made also of its religion. In other words, St. Paul, you know, of course, is reminding us that Christ is it. Christ is the culmination of it. He is the true priest. He is the high priest. He is it. He is the the Messiah and he is the fulfillment of it all. Um, and, you know, but basically, so you have, from this point, not expecting anything new. Uh, there's nothing new to come in this life, but there is something yet to come. And But the to come yet is not a new church or a new kind of, you know, truth to come. Uh, the thing to come yet that we're waiting for now is the beatific vision. You know, it's, it's, it is in heaven. I mean, that's our goal. There's nothing, you know, new to get us there now. Um, we have what we need now to, to fulfill the that journey, I guess you could say. And so Monsignor writes, says this description is of the beatific vision compared to which the New Testament is imperfect, just as the Old Testament compared to the new is imperfect. No intermediary state to succeed the present order is given by the Apostle, by St. Paul. He only designates then the next step, the next, which is the beatific vision. So there are, Three states, so to speak, enumerated by St. Paul, which God in his divine providence successively established with regard to humanity. And they are the three stations which conducted or conduct the children of God to the possession of their eternal heritage. So the Old Testament was the shadow, the New Testament is the reality, and now the beatific vision then is the consummation. So the Church of Jesus Christ is that midway between the shadow of the Old and then the consummation of the promises of Christ in the beatific vision. So, in other words, we we we're not to look for anything new. We're not looked for a new church or a new revivalment of the church or a new you know gospel or anything you know new truths to be had. We have it all right now. The only thing we're doing now is working our way then towards the beatific vision, which is happening. And so, you know, it's kind of uh, it quells the 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 uh, uh, you know the because of course people are so people want uh a novelty all the time they want something you know well, i want something new i want you know this can't be yes you know i can't you know we gotta have something new all the time you see that in in modern life anyway i mean how many <laughs> times you know you get uh you know i used to back when i was when it first came out really you know i was uh, we had like the first versions of the whatever video games you know we had and and uh I can't remember the in television or something was it was or whatever it was, <clears throat> but you know you see so you'd get a game or whatever, you know some sports game or something you know or or some game or that had levels to it you know you'd play it and then you know you'd play it for a while and then you kind of got bored of it and then you want and oh then a new version comes out okay and then you know you play that and oh then a new version comes out or a new one comes a new one you because know, you're always you know searching for something new. Um, and you're, you're never really satisfied then ultimately with what you have. But, so, but people with that, that mentality like that, they look even to that for things of religion, and they think, wow, you know, we, we need something new now. It's getting stale. We need something new. And this is you know, the whole thing of Vatican II and charismatic renewal, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, so, but there's nothing new to come. We have it all. We have, all we have to do is live by what we have and be faithful to it. And, of course, what we have to look forward, doesn't even compare to what anything new we could imagine in this life. It's the beatific vision.
0: Mm, Yes. On page 305, Catholic revelation was completed by the Holy Ghost through the apostles. No other is to be expected. Yes, that was, again, just a, a, a continued
1: affirming. That there's nothing to be looking forward to again. <laughs> I, mean, no, I mean, nothing new to look forward to, to, you know, some new truth or new revelation. It's, you know, our Lord uh, spoke to the apostles and Monsignor quotes from the, the Gospel of St. John, and I'll just read it. Uh, when he said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will teach you all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but what things soever he shall hear, he shall speak. And the things that are to come, he shall show you. He shall glorify me, because he shall receive of mine, and shall show it to you. All things whatsoever the Father hath are mine. Therefore I said that he shall receive of mine, and show it to you. And so, of course, at Pentecost, after the descent of the Holy Ghost, the apostles, they are to be taught all truth, you know, not just some partialities of it or what they're to be taught all truth. They are therefore, of course, to be taught all truth, not only an account of themselves, but more so on account of the church, of the Catholic church, to teach them to everyone. And so the church is also then taught all truth. Uh, you know, again, there's no partial truth. There's no truth yet to be had. You know, this is something, this is the whole driving force of the heresy of ecumenism of today, of Vatican II, is that, you know, to have dialogue with other religions because they want to dialogue with each other and somehow come across, through that dialogue, a greater truth. You know, it's, uh, um, and actually I saw an article on Novus Ordo Watch, actually, which explained, um, but this is, the Hegelian dialect. Uh, the, Hegel was a philo- German philosopher. Of course, this is taught very much well, and by modernists, and we're taught this too. Is that you know, we basically have two truths or two ideas, and they clash with each other, and then they come form through that a greater truth. And then, of course, then you split off another time and clash, and then you have another truth and a bit greater truth. And so, you're constantly evolving, so to speak. Um, it's not like that because mm-hmm. the the church has been taught. All Uh, the church has it all. There is no need to dialogue with someone who uh, is not Catholic uh, because, other than for the sheer fact of trying to get them for their conversion to the truth, but not to find the truth or not to elucidate some sort of other truth. So, there's no other truths to be expected uh, because whatever our Lord and the Holy Ghost wanted the church to know was to be made known by the apostles who were taught all truths. And so all truth has been, has been proclaimed by the apostles because according to the promise of Christ, again, they were taught all truth. Um, And so all those, and Monsignor writes, uh, uh, this is a good article or or, uh, paragraph two, he says, all those who change, mutilate, or add to the gospel incur the anathema of the apostle, St. Paul. Basically, St. Paul saying in, in, in Galatians, he says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach a gospel to you besides that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preach to you a gospel besides that which you have received, let him be anathema. And so, basically, you know, again, anything you can't, anything new which contradicts what I have taught to you. Which has been, in truth, has been given by the Church. Anyone teaches anything different, let them be anathema. In other words, anathema is not just, you know, let them, well, you know, strike their hand. Anathema means basically go to hell. Is that you are excommunicated? You're, 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 you're done. You're toast Mm -hmm. in that regards.
0: Yes, and that, Um, that, there is obviously another condemnation of Vatican II. mm -hmm. Yes, it's quite easy to do so. Yes, going back to the basics, there's no need for even like Canon 188.4 and all that. I mean, the basics of the faith right there, the scripture is uh, t- tells the point about Vatican II. Right, right. No, you're right. On page 307, the Catholic Church has always considered revelation, both in doctrine and in practice, as closed forever. <coughs>
1: Right. And so, you know, Monsignor just continues along this line, just to again, continually reinforce, reinforce, because and and because the church has always faced, people either from without or even from within who are trying to always whittle away or trying to get people to believe something new or different or change things. because, again, not because uh, they're changing it really, ultimately. Uh, because they want people to believe deeper, or they're changing it because they don't like something. Ultimately, <laughs> I don't like to live by this way. You know, like Luther, I didn't. I don't. You know, Luther didn't like the sixth and ninth commandment, so I think we'll just change it. Um, stuff like that. Um, but you know, Monsignor says the essential doctrine of the true church must be unchangeable, because truth is unchangeable. The church has always believed that which is new is heresy and not the faith of Christ. While novelty and mutability, which changeability, have always been the two characteristic notes of every heresy, the substantial doctrine of the Catholic Church has been the same in every century, both in theory and in practice. You know, so an example would be, you know, would a Catholic say, what, 60, well, let's just say 70 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, would a Catholic worship with a Protestant? And the answer, of course, was is no. Catholic would not, because they knew better. They knew that that was not that was a sin. They knew that, you know, but now, what do you see again in Vatican II? You say, yeah, I mean, it's actually uh, uh, they're not only required or not only expected uh, to worship, but they're actually required now to worship with Protestants.
0: Um, so you know that's Wait, are they required? I didn't realize that, Father. When when did this come out? Well, in praxis, because if you have,
1: uh, um, you know, you have an ecumenical service
0: in your parish, uh, you know, basically. Ah, yes, yes. I think my knowledge of the my knowledge of Vatican II must not be up to standard here, Father. <laughs> What's really going on all the time? Right, I mean, there's directives
1: now for you for the by official directives that you how to worship with Protestants, how to yes, so you're that's yeah. required in that regards, um, you know, and 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 by pressure of course, uh, everyone should you know cannot really say uh, that it's wrong, to do that, um, so you know it's it's the same in theory and practice, you know that's yes. what a, a, you know, a Catholic, Catholic does You wouldn't not dream of doing that, um, and so. Um, the uh, Monsignor quotes from an epistle uh, from uh, possibly from St. Barnabas uh, a companion of St. Paul Um, but he says that uh, one of the lines of that he says the rule of light is this keep what thou hast received neither adding to nor subtracting from it it's very simple really and, and Monsignor uh, wrote, uh, quotes, too, from St. Vincent of Lorin, uh, who wrote to proclaim 1,500 years ago, or, or a little bit longer now, but uh, the truth, this truth, he says, St. Vincent, Vincent of Lorin writes this, he says, I cannot understand why many men like to follow so many errors. They are not satisfied with the rule which has once delivered and accepted from antiquity. They rather look every day for new things and always try to add, change, detract from religion, as if the heavenly dogma which was once revealed is not good enough. I mean, that just applies from the very beginning until this
0: very day. I mean, you see men always doing that. Yes, Father, it goes, like you said before, when you were talking about the video games and, you know, you play a bit, then you get bored, then a new one comes out. And I'm sure it's the same with movies and, you know, pretty much anything, all these forms of entertainment that the modern world indulges in arguably more than any other time in history. So as a society, we people... I used to just having this new change, new novelty satisfy my thirst for something new all the time. And because of that, when it comes to doctrine and dogma, I guess the effects of original sin and also the development of that inclination is what basically what St Vincent of Laurent, St Vincent of Lorin said there, always looking for change. Right, right. I mean there's nothing necessarily of
1: course wrong with or like, let just take take technology. Of course, you have, you know, a new new uh, whatever new computer coming out that can do more things. No, oh, fine, so bit you know, big deal. I mean, you can do it fine. That sir, but you know, if people are in the mindset, you know, I want this new thing because I need it, or I could use it better, or if they just do it because it's new or whatever. But in and of itself, that's not necessarily you know bad per se. But the problem again is that mentality of that of a, say in entertainment or things of that nature, they begin to apply then to what's truly important, which is that of course of salvation and, and religion. And, you know, they say, you know, so, you know, something that, you know, I want a new computer, new, this, that in and of itself is not wrong, but now, you know, they apply that same kind of mentality to, well, I want this new, I want this new church. I want this new, I want to, I want to believe this, I want this, you know, and, and it doesn't, you know again, like you said, it's because of uh, the marks of our originals and you know our weaknesses that we have there that sometimes we cannot differentiate between those things uh, and this is where again where you find heresy and schism
0: coming in quite rapidly um, yes, and when when people do want the new doctrines or the new teachings, they generally want ones that are more lenient. You don't really hear much for cries out for doctrines that say we can't do something it's Oh, we should be able to get divorced and yeah, yeah. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it's always uh, yeah, that's always a good sign that it never, you know, it never comes from our Lord because you know it's always uh, playing to our fallen human nature uh, and our weaknesses and our comfort.
0: Yes, most, de- most definitely. <laughs> yes. On page three hundred and eleven, the deposit of faith is greater and more complete the closer it is to the plenitude of time. That is. To Christ, <clears throat> yeah, the last chapter then of of
1: the book then, uh, it's really it's actually very simple. I mean, it's not uh, basically, what Monsignor is just pointing out is that uh, like looking back, uh, say, uh, from the beginning of of man to Adam and Eve, Throughout, of course, the Old Testament, etc. He says the former, it was again only the the shadow, the the preparation, the the promise, um, and then of course uh, we have then Christ Himself, which is the pinnacle of history, uh, which is uh, the the uh, uh, the the fullness of the revelation. It is it is the fulfillment of the prophecies, the fulfillment of the Messiah, and so from that point on, from Him now until this day is the latter then it's the reality it's the completion the fulfillment and so you have the the two separate dispensations you know the old and the new law but the central point of it all of course is christ himself is that the old law of course believed in a future redeemer in a reconciliation to come through the messiah through the christ and the new law of course Believes in such a reconciliation as already accomplished because our Lord has done it. So it is the fulfillment of all. So now, of course, we are in the new law. But the key, I think, Monsignor is just is just emphasizing uh, in this chapter is that it is Christ only. It is Christ who is the pinnacle of everything. It is uh, of of. Uh, of everything, and is that with with uh, it's the faith in the incarnation of Christ? It is evident that those who are nearer to Christ, either before or after, were generally more fully informed, more fully after than before, according to the authority of Saint Paul. In other words, like the apostles who knew Christ, who walked with Christ, who spoke with Christ, who were physically, of course, there. Uh, They, of course, are closer to him, so there's uh, a a greater uh, um, information, so to speak. Of course, that's where you have the revelation, of course, the true revelation, the the revelation, um, um, public revelation There is because they were the closest to him. Um, So the revelation made to the apostles by Christ and, and the Holy Ghost is the completion of all previous revelation and the fulfillment of the prophecies, the plenitude of time. Um, it is the New Testament, which is equally near to Christ today as it was in the time of the apostles, as our Lord says, "Behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world." So basically, Monsignor is just reminding us is that uh, you know Christ is the pinnacle of history. He is. It is the fulfillment of all. It is from the old before that it was the culmination, and he had the the final culmination, of course, in Christ Himself. And now, you know, it's almost like. Um, <coughs> The closer you are to the sun, the hotter it is. You know, and so, uh, you know, we, although we're separated now, what, 2,000 years from Christ himself, as far as uh, physically, of course, um, we still have the rays of the sun. We still have, because, of course, propagated through the church herself. So we still feel the heat, of course, of of the sun. We still have enough uh, to live. We still have that. But yet, of course, the apostles had more because they, you know, we're closest to Christ himself, God in the flesh. Um, so, uh, but yet that is not as if we are, per se, wanting because of the church. Because our Lord says, I will, be th- I will be with you until the consummation of the world. And so he is with us, of course, through the church, the Catholic church. He is with us through his teaching, through his, of course, the blessed sacrament himself. Um, so he, you know, he has given us what we what we all need. But of course, it is, Monsignor is just reminding us that the center, the sun you know, is 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 Christ Himself, and is that is uh, the pinnacle uh, of all of history there, and it, it's remind us that the elongation then of that, of course, only
0: happens through the Catholic Church. And that concludes the show, the whole series, then, Father. Wow, it just seemed like yesterday. <laughs> well, I think it has been a great effort on your part, and I'm very excited to release this as the final, I think we, I mean, covering this, I thought it was a very, very beneficial thing to learn at first. I thought, Oh, is this a bit dry? A bit sort of technical? Is this really required? I mean, I'm sure it's cool, but after going through it, it, there's actually a lot in here that is, I would argue very important and very beneficial for Catholics to learn. Oh, absolutely. I
1: mean, it is, uh, there are parts of course, that are very, you know, technical and, and things and, but it's, it's a book. Like all books based in theology and, and things, it's not necessarily that one will maybe read it, you know, from cover to cover and then necessarily just put it away and never look at it again or read it and then understand it all and then, okay, I'm good. But it's, you know, to be read and then, okay, I understand, that was good. That was really helped me there. And then maybe later on, you can kind of pick it up again and flip through it again. And, oh yeah, I can understand. I can see this now. And so it is you know, kind of, it should, you know, be one of those books too that you can go back to occasionally, and you know, reinforce and say, "Oh yeah, this is how he. Ex- I liked how he explained this. It Really helps me here." And you know, it, it's a book that, as they say,
0: you know, will keep on giving if you just give it a chance. Absolutely, and of course, these recordings now, listeners or readers, can use as another form to uh, help their understanding of it. Sure. Sure. Well, Father, as this is the final show and as we are closing here, is there anything you would like to say to conclude this series? Well, I guess it would
1: be that, uh, you know, as Monsignor in this book, of course, reminds us of uh, the great privilege we have of having the true Catholic faith, uh, the great privilege we have of having the true Catholic Church uh, and seeing the truth and not wavering. And I think... Everyone, all traditional Sunday contests, I mean, we all, we have to always make sure that we are uh, firmly committed in regards to understanding why we are doing what we do. Is that, I guess the question would be, you know, we have to be clear that, uh, and be assured by the teaching of the church, of course, that Vatican II is not the Catholic Church. Of course, Vatican II is just another Protestant sect, ultimately. Um, and we have to be clear on that. Is that because if we're wishy-washy, or if we're not clear in that, is that we very easily, of course, uh, will just gravitate right back to it. Um, but yet, you know, Monsignor, this book especially, too, as well, as as uh, helps us to understand uh, okay, what are the marks of the Catholic Church? You know what is the teaching of the Church, and does Vatican II teach you that? No, absolutely not. Of course, really, I mean, Monsignor, of course, is writing this prior to Vatican II. He was writing it really, ultimately, as a defense against Protestantism or against those who weak Catholics, but can be used for us to reaffirm uh, our, of course, faith uh, and our strength and understanding uh, why we are doing what we're doing and why we are clinging. As we just said from St. Paul, you know, we are just clinging to what has always been given. Uh, we are not listening to anything new. Uh, we, are, we are basically living uh, in a holding pattern of 1958 at this point. So that that's what we are ultimately doing, is that we are just clinging to what the church has always been and always will be.